listening to the Jefferson Exchange. I'm Eric Newman. Thanks for joining us. The JX starts today with the debrief, where JPR reporters discuss the stories they've been covering this week, including staffing issues at a Rogue Valley Fire District, tax proposals in Grants Pass, and problems with the facility operator at Crater Lake National Park. I'm here with reporters Roman Battaglia and Justin Higginbottom. Good morning. Hey there. Justin, we're going to start with you. Um, there was some dramatic news that you reported on this week about a Rogue Valley Fire District. What happened at Jackson County Fire District 5? Yeah, so Jackson County Fire District 5 um, serves about 23,000 people in the Rogue Valley, and they have three stations. Um, they operate in Talent, Phoenix, and parts of Ashland, unincorporated parts of Ashland. And earlier this month, we heard that the union representing firefighters in that district had some pretty serious issues with how the district was being run. Um, and those allegations were, were pretty serious. We, we covered what we could from a meeting where the union president um, spoke to the district's board, and he told them that there's been ongoing inappropriate workplace conduct. Um, it's allegedly gone on for years and created an atmosphere where bullying and harassment are, are basically seen as normal in this district. So it was hard to get details about these accusations that were discussed during the fire district's board meetings, but you saw some records that were released about it. What are the accusations against the fire chief? Yeah, we, we were curious what they were because that, that meeting where the union president spoke to the district, um, mu much of what was revealed was an executive session, and that's closed to the public. So we really didn't know the details behind these accusations, besides that they were serious. Um, but this week, we got access to documents and emails drafted by the union's legal team uh, sent to the district board. And those go more into detail about the accusations. Um, and a lot of blame, it turns out, is put on the district's fire chief, Charles Hanley. Uh, the union's lawyers claim that bullying and harassment at the station involving um, other employees, not, not Hanley, uh, th that was serious enough for the fire chief to hire a, a third-party consultant to investigate. But the issue is that the union says the results of that investigation were ignored, basically. The investigator told them that the chief had claimed to have addressed the problems before that investigation was even complete. Besides a hostile work environment, what else does the union claim? Well, in those documents, um, it's mentioned that the fire chief's hiring and promoting practices are, are, are really bad. They've, they've been criticized. Um, it's claimed that the process has been unfair for hiring and promoting, with the chief sort of weighing his own parts of the interview more. Um, so that, that gives them final say, kind of discretion, more discretion that's usual than what is usual about who's hired and not. Um, and that's, that's against the district's policy of hiring based off merit. Uh, promoting has also taken much longer than usual. Um, so this hasn't given work, the union claims that this hasn't given workers in the district confidence in working there. Um, also, you can imagine if you're, you're a firefighter looking for a place to work and you hear about these issues, you, you probably, you know, this fire district probably won't be on the top of your list. So you'll have second doubts about, about wanting to work there. And has this had an impact on staffing in the district? The union says it has. They say five of their workers have left in the last couple of years, and at least four more are on their way out. And right now, the district, I mean, like in a lot of places, is facing a shortage of firefighters. Um, and that could possibly put the public in danger because it might delay response times to structure files, fires, for example. So these are accusations. So how has the chief responded to them? 
So far, we've just gotten a statement from the chief saying that he takes these accusations seriously um, and that investigations into employees, uh, you know, meaning those accused of bullying and harassment, they're, they're not simple and they, they take a while and a thorough review is needed. Although that's what the union is criticizing him about, saying that he didn't complete a thorough review. Um, and so far, the union has said it's willing to solve these problems outside of litigation, although the documents mention that there are legal claims there. And they're basically asking the district's, district's board to take action. So we'll, we'll wait and see what they do. Okay. Um, we'll keep following this story and see what happens. Um, you also, Justin, reported this week on a proposal to fund public safety services, um, fire and police in Grants Pass. Um, Grants Pass and Josephine County have a history of rejecting tax proposals, but this week one was being considered by the city council. What was it and why was it so controversial? Right. So Grants Pass, they've had trouble finding enough funding for public safety for a while. Uh, I think JPR has covered this issue for, for years at this point. Um, and right now it's estimated that there's an over $3 million budget gap for that funding. Uh, so the city is looking for ways to raise money to use for things like police and firefighters in the city. Um, they proposed, the city council proposed a 3% tax on prepared food and beverages. That would apply to restaurants or cafes or maybe even a gas station where some, some small amount of food is made. Um, uh, it wouldn't apply to groceries, though. Um, three other cities in Oregon have something like this, including Ashland, uh, which the Grants Pass tax basically tried to copy. Okay. And so there was a very long public meeting that happened. Um, some residents did not like this idea, I take it. Right. That's that's correct. Uh, Grants Pass and Josephine County residents can be pretty vocal about not wanting to pay more taxes. Uh, they have a history of voting against raising local taxes. In uh, 2020, they voted against increasing a property levy by just 10 cents. They also voted against city and county sales taxes. Um, one of those most recently in 2022. And those were also meant to fund police. At the city council meeting uh, this week, there was a lot of residents and businesses, business owners um, that spoke during the public comment period. And they made it clear that they all support the police and firefighters, um, but they didn't like the tax. And some suggested that the city should find ways to cut their budget to free up more funds instead of instead of passing this new tax. Um, but the mayor says there's nothing really left to cut. Some of their funding that they get from the state, for example, has to go somewhere. It has to, it's required that that goes to places like transportation. Um, and if the residents really want some of the general fund to go elsewhere, then they'll have to be okay with cutting some funding for other basic things like parks and such, which um, many people also won't be happy about. So in the end, the city decided to not pass the food tax and said they sort of punted it to residents to decide um, they're going to put that on a ballot in November for, for residents of Grants Pass to vote on. And um, like I mentioned previously, I don't think anyone familiar with the area's history of voting for tax increases or voting against tax increases is super confident that will pass, but we'll see. So we'll have to wait until November to see if the city will add a food and beverage tax or will pass a food and beverage tax. Um, but the city council did pass another tax at the same meeting. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So the city did pass a utility fee, and that will look like an extra charge tacked onto water bills. Um, Single-family homes will pay $12 extra per month. 
and large businesses will will pay a lot more. Um, also, nonprofits like uh, Asante, the hospital, has they have buildings and grants pass. Um, they'll be charged something now. Um, so all of that money that's collected from that fee will go towards public safety, like police and firefighters. Okay, and so um, just to pull us out of the discussion of taxes, like the the takeaway is this is meant to fund needed public safety services. So is this going to be enough, this utility fee? Not really. So it's enough to fund services at the current level. So it's going to plug that $3 million gap. But the city says the status quo isn't really enough. Council uh, member Valerie Lovelace says the city uh, needs more police and firefighters. We are understaffed and have been for years. We have two firefighters to a fire engine. The standard in Southern Oregon, most other fires, is three. So we are skating by. The city also needs more money to buy vehicles like, like fire engines or more money to put away to save for when they do need these. Also, just the cost to operate police and fire departments isn't stable. It's getting more expensive. So just those vehicles, um, just those vehicle prices are more than they used to be. So the city really needs to increase its budget for safety, not keep it at the same level. Council member Brian De Lagrange uh, described the utility fee as a sort of band-aid rather than a real solution. We've been trying to work on this problem for years. Putting this all on the utility fee is essentially taking all those years of work that we've done and just kick the can down the road a year or two. So basically the takeaway is something else has to change if the city wants to continue providing services and have an adequate police and fire protection. Um, so we'll see if in November they, they figure this out. Okay, thanks for covering that. And we should say that nearly all the comments during the public meeting were against the tax proposal. So right. there's a real disconnect between what the city council is trying to do and what the residents of Grants Pass wanted. Um, so Roman, we're going to turn to you now. Um, over the past two months, there's been a bunch of drama surrounding the concessionaire at Crater Lake, which is the company that runs all these other services at the park. Uh, it's Aramark. People are probably familiar with um, seeing their logo in many different places. Give us some background about this issue and uh, what's new. Yeah, so Aramark took over operations at Crater Lake in 2018 under this, like, sh- other company called Crater Lake Hospitality, um, and they basically run pretty much everything at the park. Um, they do gift shops, like food, the hotel, the Crater Lake Lodge, all that sort of thing, the boat tours. And, you know, conditions have been pretty bad since they've been there and have gotten worse over the years since they've been there. Um, you know, Senator Wyden uh, weighed in late last year about these concerns. And, you know, we also just recently got a report about the conditions Um for all of last year. It was described as unsatisfactory um, and essentially they got like an F grade on their report, which they haven't gotten so far. And overall F grade, it's just kind of been getting worse and worse. And so according to the National Park Service, that stands for a termination of the contract, um, which, you know, they say they'll do unless Aramark gives them a reason why they shouldn't. So that's kind of what's happening right now. Okay. You went over a report that described the state of park facilities that with Aramark running things. How did that report just describe the specific conditions there? I mean, where do I start? I mean, you just read this report. It is like 
20, 30 pages long about all of the stuff going on there. Um, one big concern that we heard about from staff was employee housing has just not been great. Um, according to some of the staff, the reason why the previous contractor left Crater Lake was because they were supposed to fix up this employee housing where staff live for the summer, and they didn't want to do that. And so Airmark had to take over with the uh, acknowledgement that they would fix this employee housing, and they haven't. It was condemned last year, and they can't even charge employees to live there anymore. There's reports of mice running around, open trash, you know, no heating, you know, privacy concerns in the bathrooms. Um, you know, there's also other things like diesel spills. There were uh, multiple diesel fuel spills that happened last year at the park. Thousands of gallons estimated to have been spilled over days. There was a state investigation over it. And, you know, Aramark, according to this report, has not improved their environment environmental management since those incidents. Um, there were sewer, sewer overflows at the lodge because they wouldn't clean the grease traps. There were food safety concerns among, you know, fridges not keeping proper food temperatures. You know, Aramark has not corrected other public health code violations. And there's also been, you know, injuries reported that could affect, you know, park operations, employees getting hurt, doing maintenance. Um, you know, there were slips and falls from ice because they were didn't keep the area free of ice, and that's led to multiple lawsuits, broken bones, head injuries. Wow. So, you know, it sounds like, according to the report, the National Park Service has been trying to get this stuff addressed. Um, one of their concerns has been that, you know, they've been wasting National Park Service staff time and resources looking into correcting all of these issues, you know, which they shouldn't really have to be doing. You know, really, the concessioners should be doing all of this stuff themselves. Okay. So now it looks like there's a good chance that Aramark will lose its contract to operate within Crater Lake. What does that mean for this iconic location in the region? Yeah. I mean, we don't really know a timeline. I reached out to the National Park Service, and that's how I got all of these reports since 2019. Um, and they didn't have much to say other than that contract terminations are rare and are not you know, a thing they take very seriously. Um, they basically said they plan to cancel the contract. And that's only unless Aramark can provide a reason why they shouldn't. We don't really know what that reason would be if they say they're going to improve because, you know, over these reports, Aramark has said they've improved, would improve conditions, but they clearly have not done that. Um, so, you know, the National Park Service wording seems like it's a pretty done deal. Um, According to them, what would happen is they would try and find a short-term contractor to take over operations of the park. Um, and to note, this would also affect the Oregon Caves National Monument as well, which Aramark runs as well. Um, Wyden had sent a letter last week about this decision. He you know, basically wanted to ensure that there was a smooth transition, especially because we're heading into the busy season. You know, Lots more visitors are going to be coming once the snow starts melting. So you know, we're told there's more to come from the National Park Service, and we'll kind of see what happens and what goes on there. Okay. Thanks so much for covering that. Um, that's going to do it for the debrief this week. Thanks for listening. You can reach the newsroom with comments on our coverage and suggestions for things we should cover in the future through our news tip line. You can find that on our website at ijpr.org. You can find this program and more on our website at jeffexchange.org, or you can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and all the other platforms. 